You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. And uh, go ahead and be turning your Bibles over to Acts chapter 1, if you would. Welcome to South Bay Church. If uh, you're visiting with us, it's great to have you here. And uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1. Uh, on the screen, you'll see in this space, you don't get very good uh, cell reception. So on this space, uh, on the screen, you'll see on the slide how to get the, uh, uh, the Wi-Fi. So not for the purposes of shopping on Amazon or checking Facebook or anything like that. But, uh, but that way you can get your South Bay Church app and follow along in your notes. The notes for our lessons are on our app. And uh, as well as, you know, read your Bible if you've got your Bible on your phone these days. So um, it was awesome to be able to see Andy Steberg baptized. I got a picture there on Thursday night. We streamed it live uh, for those of you who were not able to be there. So, uh, whoops, I went back. Uh, For those of you who weren't able to be there, so if you missed it, you can go to our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is South Bay Church. Uh, and uh, South Bay Church, I think it's Facebook slash South Bay Church US or something like that, but you'll find it or ask somebody if you need to get connected. But you can watch the video there of the sharing and see Andy get baptized. But uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, baptism, we'd love to, to share more what it's about, uh, but it's where someone is, is choosing to leave their old life and now to devote themselves to Jesus and following Jesus. And uh, we believe it's kind of like a marriage ceremony. Uh, it was funny. Um, you know, uh, one of uh, 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 Andy's best friends is Caleb, and Caleb had to get out of uh, band to be able to go. Uh, and you're only allowed to go to band if it's for a wedding or a funeral. You're only allowed to leave band if it's a, for a wedding or a funeral. We're like, well, baptism is both a wedding and a funeral, right? So it works out. But uh, we are um, going to be, I'm going to put this up so I'll have it ready for later. We are going to be. Uh, as I mentioned, going through the book of Acts. So if you could go ahead and be turning over to Acts chapter 1. And the reason we're going to be uh, doing this series in the book of Acts is, uh, you know, the, the book of Acts is the story of the church and how the church started and who the church is. And any organization has kind of its own culture, its own history, its own way of doing things. It was interesting, speaking of the, the band, um, Marshall is also in marching band. He's the band manager uh, and he does all these behind-the-scenes things for the band. And so he has asked me to videotape their performances. So I get to go early and sit up on top of that box where the announcers are and stuff in the cold and watch the... Uh, I'm up there with the other guys taping the video game, and I'm taping the band. But it's funny, getting there that early, I was able to experience the organizational culture of several different groups. So, I, you know, first I dropped Marshall off, and then all, there's all the band people, and they're kind of doing their thing. Then I come in, and there's all the cheerleaders in there early, and they're all doing their thing, and they have their culture and their kind of way of doing things and who they are as a people. And then the two football teams are showing up, and so this team over here is doing their thing, and this football team over here is doing their team, and there's representatives of both football organizations up on the top with me. Uh, so it just made me think about every organization really has its story and who, you know, what they stand for, what the principles are, what the values are, what the core values are of that organization. And as a church, if you want to look to what are the core values of the church, you look to the book of Acts because that's where the church started and you see the hearts of the people. And what are we a part of? That's what the goal is of looking at the book of Acts. How do we fit in 
to what God is doing, has done, and what God is doing in the world today. So in Acts chapter 1, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, just aside here, is, is, is one of the key um, themes of the book of Acts. The Holy you know, it, it, the, the, the titles of these books, they were not part of the original manuscript, so they've kind of been added by tradition. So the traditional title is the Acts of the Apostles. That's kind of the whole title. But really it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the book of Acts is really what the Holy Spirit is doing through his people. He's really the main character of the book of Acts. And so as we study Acts, we'll also be studying more about the Holy Spirit. Especially, we'll kind of kick that off next week. Verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him going into heaven. So Jesus leaves them waiting there, waiting for something, waiting for this promise of God of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's interesting that he just, you know, he establishes this group, he establishes this kingdom, and then he, he leaves. Isn't that an interesting part of God's plan? That, that Jesus, uh, and, and uh, if you read the book of John, there's a good chunk of John towards the end there that, that is him preparing his apostles for this, preparing his, his friends for this, saying, I'm leaving, but that doesn't mean I have left. You know, in Matthew 28, he sends them out. He says, but I am with you always to the very end of the age. And, uh, and so there, there's this w idea of waiting on God, and yet God is still with you. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about uh, waiting on God. We're going to talk about witnessing for God. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the book of Acts. We're calling this series Spirit-Filled People because of the mention of what I mentioned about the Holy Spirit really being uh, the main character in the book of Acts. And uh, this, the, the, the phrase being filled with the Spirit or being full of the Spirit is used many times in uh, the book of Acts. And that might have a connotation for you from kind of some modern spirit stuff today that you see in churches that's not exactly what is meant when you look at the context of the, of the, of the book of Acts. Uh, Paul, Peter is being described as being full of the Spirit when he gets up to preach. Stephen is described as being full of the Spirit when he gets uh, up to preach. Paul is being described as being full of the Spirit when he gets up to preach. Barnabas is described as being full of the Spirit when he's just a giving person. And he, he, his, his, Barnabas is a nickname, the son of encouragement. He's so giving. Why? He's full of the Spirit. Stephen is described as being full of the Spirit. And all of those seven people who were chosen in Acts 6 to have these different duties in the church, they were all described as being filled with the Spirit. 
the people are being described as being full of the Spirit when they pray for God and ask for God to bless them and be with them. And it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. So that's really what we want. We want for God's Spirit to lead us. We want to be a Spirit-filled people and a Spirit-filled church. So we're going to look at the example in the book of Acts. So the first example is waiting. Uh, First point is waiting. Actually, before I get to that, I want to give you some background. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, the book of Luke. We know the book of Luke and the book of Acts were written by the same person. You saw here in Acts chapter 1, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Acts 1.1. That former book he's talking about is what? The book of Luke. The gospel of Luke. And uh, the, the book of Luke, uh, traditionally, the reason it's called Luke is it's attested to be written by this person named Luke who we read about in Scripture. And uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read you. Uh, in Philemon 1.24, Paul is, is talking about who is with him at that present time. He's in prison at that time. He says, Mark is with me, Arist- Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And then in Colossians 4, Verse 10, he says, My fellow prisoners, Aristarchus, send you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. They provided comfort for me. So these are all the guys who's with them. He says, these are the only Jews who are with me. And then a little bit farther, Colossians 4.14, he says, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to these other brothers and sisters and so on. So we know that at that time, you know, Philemon and Luke and Colossians rather were written at the same time as as well as the book of Ephesians. And this same group of friends is with uh, Paul at that time. And one of them is this person known as Luke the doctor. Uh, Traditionally, it's been believed that he was a Gentile because, you know, he mentions those first names in Colossians 4. These are the only ones among the Jews. And then he says, plus these other guys. So we have and there's an early, early quote about uh, Luke being a Syrian and uh, living in Antioch that's from around 180 or something. So uh, traditionally, Luke is known to be a Gentile. However, there are some, and I just want to kind of give you this because you'll hear about this if you get into scholarship and stuff. There are some that, that argue, well, no, he couldn't be a Gentile because he knows the Old Testament so well. Because when you read the book of Luke, and especially when you read the book of Acts, there's so much Old Testament in there. And he knows the Jews so well, and he knows the Jewish mindset so well and he knows the Old Testament scriptures so well, how could he be a Gentile? And they argue this, this in the Greek where it says, these among the Jews, these are the only Jews among me. The Greek is, these are the only among of the circumcision group who are among me. And the circumcision group was a group of guys that were saying, you have to be circumcised to be Christian. Or that, that's another way that term was used. So it could be argued that Luke was a Jew, but he just wasn't part of the circumcision group. Does that make sense? It doesn't really matter either way, but I just kind of want you to know the background of what people say about this author. The other thing is, neither Luke nor Acts say who it was written by. You know, a lot of Paul's writings, it says who's writing it. Peter, it says he's writing it. But Luke and Acts, it does not say who the author is. And so it's been, it's pretty early. There's a quote from Irenaeus about 150 AD that says it was written by Luke, the the doctor. And... um, you know, it's, it's a pretty early tradition, but we don't know for sure that this, it was written by this person, Luke. This is just kind of a connection that was made by the church fathers, kind of the second generation of Christians. And so we kind of, you know, we've kind of accepted it, but there will be people that want to argue that. And it doesn't really matter either way, right? Uh, whoever it is, this person, there's a few things we do know about this person. This person 
as I mentioned, knew the Old Testament really, really well, knew Jews really, really well, knew that faith, but then he also was defending the Gentile ministry and what Paul was doing and Gentiles becoming Christians. That's kind of the whole point of Acts is tracing this movement from being just Jews to being for everyone. And we also know this person was a member of the very elite class of the Roman society because his, his Greek, his writing ability is up there with any scholar of any ancient writing in history. Like Luke 1, they say, is the best Greek we have from antiquity. He was an amazing, amazing writer. And, you, uh, you know, it's hard for us to get that, reading English. We, I don't get that at all. I don't understand it. But, but I can tell, you know, you've all had those books in college or, uh, you know, where it's like you read it, you're like, wow, this is hard reading. And then you have another book, and it's like, this is easy reading. You know, Ramona and Beezus, it's like, no problem. I got that, right? <laughs> but then you read something by, you know, I don't know, you know, one of those Russian authors, you know, Tolstoy or something. You're like, this is hard, right? That's kind of, in the Greek, you see that. Like, Luke is a really good writer. And it's estimated that in Roman society, there was only 10% of society that could read and write at all. It was not a very, very literate society. So Luke is on the upper echelon of society. And what's interesting is in his gospel and in the book of Acts, he's always lifting up the outsider. He's always lifting up the, you know, the, those who are kind of down and out. So it, it seems as if Luke is coming from a place of high society saying, this kingdom isn't for rich people. This kingdom isn't for people who have it every, it's, it's for everyone. And I am, am going to lower myself, you know, in Roman eyes, society, to be a part of this group that's for everyone. And so that's a lot of his, what his argument is all about. Does that make sense? So it's good to have a little bit of background. Uh, a couple other things I'll just tell you about the first century, the world of, of the first century. Um, and uh, I'll also mention this. Sorry, I keep getting ahead of myself. Forgive me. Uh, if you want to know more about the reliability of Luke uh, or of any of the, the, the scriptures, and if, you, if you're into this kind of deep study stuff, if you have Amazon Prime, uh, then you can get this uh, video, these videos for free. It's called True You. Just do a search for True You. The first season is all about proof of God. And so they go into, you know, the... Uh, the, the fine-tuned universe, they go through the origin of life, the origin of information, how do we get such, you know, DNA and all this kind of, it's, it's a lot of proof about God. That's season one of True You. Season two is uh, a, a proof for the Bible, and how can we prove the Bible is reliable? And so uh, this is, if you see season two, this is uh, episode seven and episode eight are specifically about the New Testament Episode 8 is about the reliability of Luke and Acts. And Stephen Meyer, who's a great author, uh, he's a little bit nerdy, but nerds are cool. I like nerds. I'm a nerd myself. Uh, he, you know, so just that caveat. But he's super brilliant, super smart. Um, so he, he gives you like these specific things in Luke that prove it was an early writing, that prove Luke really did research all this, because Luke claims to have researched thoroughly what he's presenting. He claims this is historically accurate, and he gives all these names and places, and there's been things that Luke put into his writings that scholars said, oh, this is wrong, this shows that he's wrong, and then come to find out later through archaeology, oh, whoops, he was right. You know, we found that person we didn't think exists that he wrote about. So there's a lot of great stuff there if you want to study that further. Okay, World of the First Century. This is uh, from a fresco that's actually in, um, uh, in, in the uh, Getty 
uh, museum, not the, Get the big Getty, but the smaller, the original one, the Getty Villa. And uh, this is from the first century, dating from the first century. So those are two actual first century people right there. And uh, in the first century, there, you know, some things had happened um, that are important to know for understanding kind of what you're reading when you read the book of Acts. Uh, the Jews, Jewish society had really changed a lot from what you read about in, in the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, you see Jews, they, they end up in Egypt, they're in slavery there, God leads them out of Egypt, they enter the promised land, they conquer, they build this kingdom. Uh, hundreds of years go by, they're led by the judges, they're led by the kings, but God had always said, if you don't uh, get rid of idolatry among you, if you try to be like these other nations, if you don't obey me and obey uh, my, you know, worship me as the one and only God, then uh, these other kingdoms are going to conquer you, and that did happen. Uh, in 721, the northern kingdom, the northern part of the nation of Israel was carried off into exile and dispersed among the nations. They were kind of lost forever. We see their, uh, their descendants become the Samaritans. Um, and then in, in 587 B.C., the southern kingdom, Judah, was taken into exile in Babylon. And you see the era of empires, starting with the Persians, the Assyrians first, then the Persians, uh, Syrians first, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, the Greeks, Greeks, and then the Romans. These big empires, like never before in human history, you see these big empires. And the book of Daniel talks a lot about that. We talked about that, uh, I think it was the beginning of this year. Uh, if you go to our website or on our video channel, you can get more detail into those empires and those kings. And we kind of went into pretty depth about these different em emperors and what they did and stuff like that. But Daniel prophesied, as we sang about earlier, that all this would happen. There would be these intense kingdoms, you know, that would conquer everything. And, and the Jews became just this little people group that were dominated by these other groups, by the Assyrians first. And the Assyrians were really brutal. And then by the Babylonians, Babylonians they were really brutal. Then the Persians came ar around, and they had a policy where they would let people groups have their own religion and have kind of govern themselves. So they let the Jews go back to Jerusalem, the Persians did, under the time of King Cyrus. And so they rebuilt the temple, and they rebuilt the city. And, and you, you see some of that recorded in, in some of the later books of, of the Old Testament. And uh, so they call that the second temple period. They had this temple again. But then when the Greeks came about, the Greeks... Uh, we're, their, their policy was we want everybody to be Greek. It was called Hellenization. We want everyone to be Greek. We want everybody to celebrate Greek culture, to read Greek writing, to speak Greek. So they kind of forced assimilation. And that didn't go well with the Jews, right? And so you have this period of intense, intense, intense persecution during what we would call the time in between the Testaments. And they were kind of caught in the middle uh, after Alexander the Great and, and the, the people that took over after him. You had these northern kings of Greece and southern kings, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, and they were fighting each other for control of the promised land, and the Jews were kind of caught in the middle. Uh, and they had uh, periods where they would kind of get some self-governing again. If, if, you, if you have friends who are Jewish and they celebrate Hanukkah, Hanukkah is, uh, is, a, is a celebration of one of those moments where Judas Maccabees was able to get control again, and they were able to get the temple back into their hands. And uh, that's why, in, if you read in the, in the New Testament, why are so many people named Judas? Because Judas Maccabees was a hero. He was a hero for the Jewish people. He was kind of a, a prefigure of the Messiah in their minds. Like, the Messiah is going to be somebody like Judas Maccabeus, who comes and, and, and helps us to conquer these Romans. So that's kind of what they were looking for uh, in a Messiah. So anyway, that, 
by the time of the Roman Empire, though, the Jews had been scattered all around, and so they had synagogues. And a synagogue was a place where they would gather. Instead of all coming to Jerusalem, they would gather in these places of, whole, of, of worship on Saturday, on the Sabbath, and hear the scriptures read. And so they, they call it the diaspora, if you've ever heard that term, which is the scattering and the spreading of Jews all out throughout the Roman Empire. So everywhere we're going to see the Christians go around the Roman Empire, they're going to find Jews already there. And that was God working, you know, to spread them out so that there would be someone they could speak to about this gospel. And then some Jews would respond, some wouldn't. But that was the Jewish diaspora and the synagogue system. Also with Rome, by the time of the first century, Rome is, has conquered everything. And there are some benefits for the church to be able to spread. Number one, Rome was really good at communications. You could send a letter and it get there a day or two later. And that's pretty amazing if you think about that ancient culture that you could have that quick of communication. It wasn't like nowadays on your smartphone, but it was pretty amazing. Their, their mail system was really incredible. Their system of roads was really incredible. They also uh, allowed free travel because they kind of conquered that Western world. And so the, Jew, the Christians and the Jews were able to travel around pretty freely. And so the gospel was really able to spread. So God did a lot to sort of plow the ground ahead of time for the kingdom. And it makes you think about today, right? It makes you think about what is God doing now with modern technology and modern society and how does God want his kingdom to spread in our day and time? And we'll be talking more about that in this, uh, in this uh, series. Okay, I want to mention this as well. In verse 3 it says, After his suffering, you still in Acts 1? After his suffering he presented himself to them, this is Jesus, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, and then he goes on and says what he had to say. I just want to mention the resurrection is essential. That is the, the centerpiece of the church, of the movement of God. It's the fact that God, this man claimed to be from God, claimed to be God in the flesh, predicted that he would suffer and then rise from the dead. When they asked him for a sign, he said, this is the sign that you'll get is that You'll, bury, you'll kill me and I'll raise three days later. Pretty amazing. And he actually does it. And he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And we see that in the end of Luke. Him appearing with them, him eating with them. He wasn't a ghost. He, he's physically eating. And it says the detail. He ate a piece of broiled fish. You know, that's very specific detail that gives us, it gives credibility to the fact that he really was alive. He wasn't a ghost. Uh, Thomas put his hands in his side and, and put his, felt the nails in his hands. Jesus had a physical resurrected body. And he gave many convincing proofs. Now, even with these proofs, what does it say in Matthew 28? Some doubted. You know? So even when you see it right in front of your eyes, you're like, wait, really? This can't be true. And so, so for us today, you know, we're going to have doubts. And we're going to struggle with that. Marshall, my son Marshall and I have been talking about that a lot, the idea of doubt and and proof and evidence, and we watched this great uh, video together called Case for Christ. It's kind of the video version of, uh, of, of the book, Case for Christ, which gives a lot of great proofs. But, but it's the same today. This is the proof that, of what we believe. It's that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the, the, the essence of it. Okay, now we're going to get to our two points. Number one, wait. He tells them, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to wait there in Jerusalem. How many of you like waiting? Uh, I feel more like this guy. Let me show you this quick video clip. 
That's very comforting. But I'm afraid you'll just have to wait. I hate waiting. <laughs> Quick little clip. You can turn the lights back on. That's it. Okay, I'll play it one more time. That's very comforting. But I'm afraid you'll just have to wait. I hate waiting. <laughs> I love lines from Princess Bride. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. Yeah, I hate waiting. I mean, who likes to wait? You go to a store, you go to a restaurant, you, you know, anywhere you, I mean, I hate waiting. That's, I hate Costco. You gotta wait for a parking spot. Then you get in there, you gotta wait to get through the aisle because there's so many people. Then you gotta wait to pay. It's like, I hate waiting, right? We don't like to wait. And yet waiting is a big part of the Christian life. You have to wait on God. You could do a Bible study on what, what waiting, just the concept of waiting. Specifically, they're waiting for this gift uh, that, that, that uh, Jesus had prophesied to uh, about. But, but that's a theme throughout the book of Acts, that, that these prophecies that God made hundreds of years earlier are now being fulfilled. And, and there was a, a lot of waiting throughout the, the, the Old Testament, throughout the story of God's people. Abraham had, had to wait. Noah had to wait before that. You know, David had to wait. There, there's a lot of waiting involved in faith. Um, when Jesus describes the kingdom of God, he says, it'll be like a mustard seed that becomes this big tree. But, but think about that analogy. That it doesn't happen overnight, right? That, it's just this, that's the faith, is that this little thing can become something big, that this little, uh, this little tiny seed can become this amazing thing that, that, that you know, look and, and all the, it says all the birds came and come and, and sit in its branches. How does that happen? It happens over time. It happens through waiting on God working. And God working is a lot of times like that botanical working. It's slow, it's steady. You don't see it if you just stare and look at it. You know, if you stare and look at uh, a plant, you're not going to see it growing. And yet Jesus describes fruit. Fruit doesn't just happen. It, you got to wait for it, right? And I don't know about you. I don't like that. I want instant results. I want to see myself change right now. Or I want to see, you know, the church change right now. Or I want to just see us grow and explode like immediately. I, I don't want to wait, God. You know, I want it right now. And there are times that God does work in some amazing ways. We'll see in the book of Acts. But the Big picture is one of waiting, unfortunately. That's how God works, right? Um, and so, you know, I want to challenge you that waiting is by definition to have faith. Because faith, Hebrews 11 says, faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. It gives a lot of, of, of story in, in, in Hebrews 11 of different men and women who had faith. And so many of them, kind of the end summary, it says they did not see what was promised, yet they still believed it was coming. And so there's this faith is going, okay, God, I don't see it yet, but I trust you. I'm going to trust in your promises. I'm going to trust in your plan. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. I want to give you a, an analogy here um, that helps me to think about kind of what the Jewish mindset was and what they were looking for. When, in verse 6, it says, so he says, wait, wait in, the, in the city for this gift. And then they say, they gather around him and said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What did they have in mind at this time? Is this it? Are you going to restore the kingdom? They had in mind this, okay, it's going to be, we're going to overthrow the Romans. We're going to install a new government. The Jews are going to now take over everything, and we're going to conquer all these other empires, and now it's going to be this Jewish kingdom that will rule the world. 
That's what they were looking for because that's what Daniel said would happen. You're going to have all these empires, and then the kingdom of God is going to come, and it will destroy all those other empires, and it itself will endure forever, and it will be possessed by the saints, and it will never end. You know, that was the prophecy about the kingdom, so they're looking for that. And, and, and they, the, the Jews always reflected back to these glory days of the kingdom. So I want to give you this analogy about kind of the glory days of the kingdom. Uh, this is a picture of a tree that my daughter took that was in front of my house. Uh, my house is right here. Uh, I'll step back here. You can see th this is my house, and this is the, was this beautiful, beautiful tree out front of our house. We've lived there over 15 years, so a long time. We loved that tree. And here's what happened to that tree. It got chopped down. Those are, the, those are the, the, the remains of that tree from out front of our house. And the reason was it had become hollow. This is me <laughs> down in, showing you how hollow it is. I'm on my knees there, but you can see it was all hollowed out. So they were worried about it falling over in a, in a rainstorm or something, so they chopped it down. But that's what the, 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 the nation of Israel had been like to the Jews, this glorious, beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing, the, the empire of Solomon, the empire of David, these glory days. of the and, and so, But then God chopped the whole thing down to nothing. And uh, here's what they put in, in place. And, and don't be... Don't be mistaken, this is not the tree. This is just the thing to hold the tree. <laughs> this is what they put in its place. And, uh, you know, the, you can't see it in this picture, but the leaves are completely brown as well. And so it's like, is this thing really alive, you know? Um, and Dessa called the guy, you know, called them, you know, that you planted this tree, but it seems really dead. And uh, so the guy came and checked it out, and he showed her. He kind of scratched the, the, the trunk with his thumbnail a little bit, and, and you can see it's still green under there. Um, so it's just kind of in this waiting period. It's kind of waiting to kind of get happy, and then it'll start to grow. But even when it starts to grow, it's not going to be immediately that big, glorious tree that we want, right? And, and you know, at the time Jesus, Jesus started this, this, this kingdom of God, right? He, that's the main thing he spoke about. It says it right here. He spoke for 40 days about the kingdom of God. Yet in verse 15, skip down to verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So that's a smaller group than we have in this room for the entire planet. You know, that's the kingdom of God. It looks a little like this little bitty tree. And so it's this idea of, of the, the, this glorious kingdom, and now it's just this little group, really? That's kind of the feeling the Jews probably had. And so when they, they say, this Jesus is the Messiah, they're like, really? This, that poor carpenter from Nazareth, which was like this hick town? You know, he never even had anything. He never wrote a book. He, did, he was never part of government. That's the Messiah? You know, that... That was kind of the mentality. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. We're looking back, and we know that the Christians multiplied, and that's going to be the story of the book of Acts, is they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, and God overthrew the entire Roman Empire through these, these lowly people, and yet it wasn't immediate, and it was slow, and it's because they were willing to wait. So I want to ask you, are you willing to trust and wait on God's promises? Or do you want to trust in money or power 
or quick fixes or popularity or the way of the world. You always have that choice. Do I want to go the way of the world, the quick results I know I can control, or do I want to trust God, which means I give up control, and a lot of times I don't get what I want right away, and it's a lot of waiting, which I hate waiting. Uh, which will you choose? Number two, witness. It's funny, when I first saw that, when I first typed this up, this slide, it looked like whiteness. <laughs> but it's not whiteness. We're not trusting in our whiteness, white people. <laughs> Amen. It's witness. In verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You've got to just trust and you've got to just wait. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's the story of the rest of the book of Acts, is that they, th this kind of outlines, outlines the rest of the book of Acts, is them first being in Jerusalem, then the gospel spreading to Judea and Samaria and, and the ends of the earth. This is uh, actually for tomorrow at school. I have to have all the text on this. Uh, map memorized, so I have to be able to reduplicate this map, so pray that I can do that by tomorrow. But uh, So this is Jerusalem right here. This is kind of the most of the Roman, this isn't even all of the Roman Empire, but this is uh, the area that the church spread to in the first century. So this is Jerusalem, so it spread up here to Antioch. This is, this is Judea, so started here in Jerusalem, spreads up here through Judea up to Antioch, and then through uh, the, the, the missionary missions of Paul and others, it spreads all to all these cities. These are all cities that are mentioned in the book of Acts. All of these, each one of those on the map is one that's mentioned in the book of Acts and somewhere that the gospel spread. So that's what we're going to see in the book of Acts is the gospel going, starting in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and through all of Rome, through the ends of the earth. And so for us, that's kind of like saying, you're going to be witnesses in Manhattan Beach and Torrance and in all, you know, Los Angeles County, and in all of, of the whole planet Earth. You know, it's, it's, it starts here, and it's going to spread. And, uh, you know, when you think about being a witness to the world, we have still have a lot more work to do. And so uh, we are in the process, even as a church, of thinking about how can we better saturate our area with the gospel? How can we better reach San Pedro? How can we better reach El Segundo? How can we better reach, you know, Carson and... And, and all these little pockets, all these little communities that are in our area. So we're talking about possibly splitting into two geographic areas or three geographic areas down the road or doing more through our community groups to, to, to be involved in our community, doing more in, in our homes. Uh, Steve gave a midweek lesson. If you haven't heard it, it's on our uh, podcast about uh, house church and, and, and bringing the gospel into our homes and through that to get to the neighborhoods. But that's the work that we have to do is we are witnesses of the resurrection, of God's work, of, uh, of this, this group, of what God is doing amongst us. We are witnesses of that, and we have that same responsibility that they had in the first century. And there are these different themes in the book of Acts that we'll, we'll kind of cover as we, uh, as we go through. Uh, we're witnesses to this kingdom that he established. It's not the kingdom that even the Jews were looking for, and it's not a kingdom that has the world's mindset. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's a different kind of empire. It's a kingdom that's upside down. The, the values of the world are turned on their head. And so Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. And the greatest among you will be the servant. And it's upside down values from what the world values. 
as I mentioned, here's, here's Luke, this elite uh, member of Roman society who is, who's lifting up the, the lowly in, in his writings. It's a kingdom that's inside out. It's, it ha- we, we start in, in, with the Jews, we start with this kernel, this 120 people, but then it's going to spread to all people, and it's for every kind of, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language. It's for everyone. It's from the inside out. And, and that, that spiritually as well, we, we need to be outward. We need to be uh, all, not, not just closing in, but spreading out. And so that's why we're talking even about some of these ideas for our church specifically, how to get out into the community. And it's a kingdom that's wide open. The possibilities are endless. God can do anything. His Holy Spirit is working and, you know, the, 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 it, it's, it's spreading and he's doing something, even if it doesn't look like it, even if it looks like my little tree, you know, God is still working. It's, you scratch it and it's green underneath. And so it's a matter of having that kind of faith that we will be witnesses to what God is doing. You can always choose to focus, you know, are we going to be with God? Are we going to have his mindset and what he's doing? Or are we going to be selfish and inward focused, right? We always, we have that choice. Are you willing to be a witness? Are you willing to testify? Are you willing to speak up, to stand up for what's right in your neighborhood, in your community? You are the light of the world, Jesus said. This church is only going to grow as much as each one of you is willing to testify. As, e- as much as each one of you is willing to be a witness. We don't just gather to kind of hear something. We, we, we gather to get charged up to go out and do the work. You know, this is, like, is kind of like a celebration pep talk, and then we go out and do the work. That's, that's how it was in the first century, and that's how it's got to be for us, by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, we're going to do something uh, in this series, and I want to introduce a special member of our church, Sandy Rutherford, right now. Uh, she's going to come forward, and, and uh, one thing that we're going to do with this uh, study of the book of Acts is we're going to have a, a segment with each one of these called South Bay Stories, where we just hear a little bit about one of the people in our group, because a lot of the book of Acts is hearing different stories of different people, um, and so when I was thinking about this and thinking about who we should have, you know, first, I'm just going to kind of interview her a little bit and, and find out a little bit more about her for, for all of our benefit. Um, I thought we got to use Sandy. We got to ask Sandy to do this first because you'll see why uh, she has to be the first one. Uh, so come on up, Sandy. Let's give her a hand and uh, then we'll talk. So uh, you want to use that microphone right there? So, uh, Sandy, so if you don't know, the South Bay Church here, we are part of the L.A. Church of Christ, uh, and uh, we never meet together with the whole L.A. Church of Christ because the L.A. Church of Christ spread out, but it started in L.A., downtown L.A., and, uh, and then spread into all the communities. It started back in 1989, uh, or uh, is that right? Yeah, 1989, a team from San Francisco, Boston, others came to st- start the church, and many moved from other places. My wife and I moved from Denver in 92, end of 92, to be a part of trying to build the L.A. Church. But Sandy was the first baptism of the L.A. Church of Christ. Uh, she, was ba- she was baptized back in 1989. So uh, we get to have the first member of the L.A. Church right here in our, uh, in our congregation. So uh, can you share with us, Sandy, a little bit about how that happened? Like, how did you... Get introduced to the church. What was God doing at that time? How'd you, how, what was happening in your life? Just a few, I know, I know that's a big question. You could probably talk for <laughs> 25 minutes, but what are a few, few sentences of what was God doing and how'd you get introduced to the church? 
Yeah, um, those who know me may have noticed I'm really analytical. God bless me with that <laughs> ability. But, um, yes. you know, I think God did, God made my conversion so that when I look back, I can see it was totally God. Um, I'd been through, I lived in Atlanta. I'd been through a bunch of relationship mess, um, divorce, I got engaged, I broke that off. Anyway, and I distinctly remember one day, you know, my life was going pretty good, I had a good job and all this, and I distinctly remember thinking, I need to make some women friends. And I think that's what really opened my heart to the church. And so, um, briefly, I was working in Atlanta at Lockheed and my boss said, in two weeks you have to go to California. And so I said, okay, and I contacted a realtor so I could buy a house in Atlanta <laughs> in the next two weeks, which actually happened, which was totally God. Um, and I came out here on business, and I went back for a break, and it turns out that two of the households in my little cul-de-sac were disciple households, Okay. So what neighborhood was that? Where was that it? That was in uh, Smyrna, Georgia. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was in Georgia. So I went to church with them, and I started studying the Bible, and then, as God would have it, when I came back to L.A., the church, the L.A. church, was just starting to meet. So Ooh. it was a really small group. Um, where, where did it meet at that time? They met down in Westwood, and I was living up by uh, Magic Mountain. Oh, wow. And so, so you know, I was so fired up for the church that I was very willing to drive to Westwood for Sunday service, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. I would basically leave my office, not go home, and just drive down because it pretty much took that whole time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and a lot of times I would um, spend the weekend with some sisters so that, you know, I could have dates and stuff like that. Cool. So, How many people was the LA church at that time? When I, the first meeting I went to, there were probably about 15 people. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's small. <laughs> so the mission team, I think, was around 30. Definitely a mustard seed. But, de but they were not even all here, you know. And, and it just wow. showed me really, again, I think it was God because it showed me that, you know, the, the hearts of people who picked up their job, you know, left their jobs, came here. Um, even one of the sisters um, who studied the Bible with me, a lot of you know her, Robin Anthony Horton. She's up in the West. But she was broke. Hmm. And she would take her last five bucks and buy gas to come and study up in Magic Mountain with me. Wow. You know. And uh, she's the one that I stayed in her household a lot in the weekend. So I think, again, that God just made it really obvious. And even, even to the point that... You know, in the mission team, people were getting advice on where to rent an apartment and where to live and, you know, what job would be great. I was like, tell me if I should move. Tell me where I should live. And I remember Mary Kay Nealon saying, Sandy, just pray for God to make it obvious. Nobody would give me advice on that, <laughs> uh, which is hilarious because, I mean, I could talk an hour about all the strange and crazy things that happened that God made it obvious I should be here hmm. and not back in Atlanta, wow. which is what I wanted to do was to go yeah. back, right? 
but wow. God made it really obvious I should be here. That's so cool. And if you're not uh, familiar with this, the LA Church, what she's talking about, the 15 people and 30 people, now the LA Church of Christ is like 6,000 people all over, um, you know, spread out throughout the whole LA area. So that's super encouraging that, you know, you were part of that right from the beginning. Yep. So, yep. Um, so you kind of mentioned crazy things there that God did then, but I, I know, you know, in all those years since, 30 years since, gosh, is that right? Wow. Long time. So in all that time, <laughs> you've seen all kinds of, you know, people come and people go, and, you know, we, you've seen us have success as a church, you've seen us have fa- failings as a church, and, and a lot. You know, I know you've personally been through a lot of ups and downs, and, and uh, you know, really, really hard things, and as well as, as blessings, but what do you feel like is like kind of your core convictions about God and his church that keeps you going. Um, I wrote a couple of scriptures down, just one for this. The Romans 8, 28. Hmm. Um, this is a big philosophical discussion I'll have with anybody, but <laughs> I, I don't believe everything happens for a reason. Like God doesn't make this bad thing happen to you or this person die or whatever. Right. That's my personal conviction. But the Bible says we know that in all things God's work that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And I believe that. I believe that, you know, I have to hold on to the fact that God loves me, even though sometimes I don't feel it. Um, And I have to hold on to the fact that God is all-powerful, right? right. He can do anything out of anything. And so, you know, he doesn't always fix all of our stupid mistakes you know because sometimes that's how we learn and he doesn't always shield us from the effects of of hurt whether it's you know in the church or by people in the world you know yeah but um or our own or our own (laughs) own stupid but um i do believe he always works for the good of those who love him and that's what's key yeah that's great amen well said i i agree with you that that, that there are crazy things that happen that aren't, you know, anyway. But God is able to, in all things, work good through it, you know, even, even though somebody else intended it for harm. In the yeah. scripture, you intended it for harm, but God yeah. was able to, you know, do what Joseph said. Yeah. But uh, so if you had one piece of wisdom to share with some of the younger disciples, we have some, some who just got baptized. Andy Steberg just got baptized on Thursday. So uh, if you have, uh, you know, one piece of wisdom uh, to share with the, the younger among us, what, what would it be? So another thing God gave me was um, a very stubborn personality. What? <laughs> I'm sure nobody noticed. <laughs> but I think that just having, just being stubborn for God, Amen. you know, and for your life and for the people around you. Um, I think that, you know, I wanted to be the one who came up one day and said, Oh God healed my marriage, but that didn't happen, Mm. you know? And, and, um, you know, I have issues with family and health and all kinds of other stuff, but I do believe that we need to always be stubborn for God and take responsibility for our own salvation take responsibility for our own life, you know, make the best life we can yeah. in, in like from a worldly perspective, but always keep eternity in mind. 
Amen. And can I read a scripture? Sure, please. So lately, um, I did this study on the Uversion Bible, which I think is awesome. But anyway, it was talking about do not lose heart. And I think just, again, making your best life with your eye on eternity. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So that's where the stubbornness comes in. Amen. You know. Amen. Well, I appreciate it. Let's give Handy a, Sandy a round of applause. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, amen. I, I, I appreciate Sandy. She is a great example of what we talked about today, to wait and to witness and uh, even, you know, she's still, uh, you know, let, let's all be praying for her son. You know, we all love her son. Uh, we want him to be here, but he's not here right now. But, you know, she was faithful through all of his years growing up as well. The, probably the most faithful parent of, of teen ministry or a preteen ministry. Just always devoted, always volunteering, you know, even whether he was there or not, you know. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, we, we've all got to follow her example of being stubborn for Jesus. I like that. Uh, and as we take communion, I wanted to share this uh, scripture because I think this puts the idea of waiting and witness uh, into a tangible way. Uh, it says in verse 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we take communion, as we remember his body and blood, we are again pledging to both wait and witness until he comes again and to hold on to what he has promised and to, to, uh, uh, to testify to what he has done for us and, and how he sacrificed so that we could have a relationship with him. So let's pray for communion, and uh, then we'll be able to share that together. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he rose from the dead to prove uh, who he was, who he claimed to be, as well as to conquer death for us and to show us uh, the way to have victory over sin, to have victory over defeat and decay and all of the, the things of this world, God. I pray that uh, as we pledge ourselves again to wait and witness and proclaim Jesus' death until he comes, we can uh, uh, just reflect on how much you've done already in our lives uh, and, uh, and all that you've promised. And I pray we can trust in you and trust in, in these promises. Thank you for Jesus' love for us. Thank you for his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us in this opportunity to get to remember his body and blood together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.